The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Out of structure. Let's do it. We have time to run walls. If it's first and ten, walls. Any down and distance, I don't care. The game is over, and the Chiefs' kingdom has firmly planted its flag on top of football's highest summit. And Chiefs' kingdom, get ready to welcome your champions. Welcome, Chiefs' kingdom, to another edition of the Out of Structure Podcast. Matt Stagner here with Ron Cobb Jr. Ron, the entire AFC West was unwatchable this weekend, whether they played or not. So the Chiefs and Chargers coming off a bye week. The Denver Broncos pulled out a stinker over the Jaguars. And the Oakland, I mean, Las Vegas Raiders somehow managed to completely get dominated by the now 3-5 and five New Orleans Saints. Did you have a good time watching football this weekend? Yeah, it was, it was nice to have a, a little weekend off from the, the stress that the Chiefs give us uh, week to week. And even less stress is, is is how the Chiefs are feeling in the AFC West right now with 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 watching the rest of the teams. I mean, man, the Raiders. I I'm I'm definitely someone that was kind of like, look, they're playing better than the record, right? They've been in all these games. You can't get shut out like that. Derek Carr didn't take a snap in opponents' territory on Sunday Stags. I mean, talk about a Raiders team that you know was supposed to only be better than they were last year, and now they're looking at two and five and and off their a very embarrassing loss. I mean. I don't know, man. I'm I'm very glad to be rocking the red today, Stags. Let's just say that. You would think if you go out and add the league's best wide receiver that it would get your offense past midfield yeah. at least once. <laughs> you would think so, yeah. And and their car should be you know maximized, and they, you know they have you know more another year of Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro. I mean, it is pretty crazy. And their offense was very good going into the game. I mean, one of the you know best statistically you know efficiency wise and. Uh, I don't know, man. Josh McDaniels, uh, you know, another kind of a weird start to hit another head coaching tenure. I don't know. I, I just love that we're opening the pod stacks today, talking shit on the rest of the AFC West. Oops. Yeah. I, and, and, and I'm just cursing out here, too. So uh, it was a, it's a good start to the show. I, I love it. I love it. It was a bye week. We got our rest in. Uh, hey, we still had a show last week because we couldn't resist after a big Chiefs win. You got to feel like the Kansas City Chiefs are set up really nicely for the second half of this season. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how they come out of the bye. Historically, that's been a, a good time for them. Uh, Kansas City and Andy Reid coming off a bye week. Uh, what do you think about the matchup this week? We'll talk more later, but it'll be an interesting uh, interesting matchup coming up. 
Yeah, no, it, it is. It is, uh, you know, a, a big game. Um, it doesn't feel like it really because I think the Titans are a pretty underwhelming five and two, but it is a big game at Arrowhead Sunday night football. It's actually the last, uh, yeah, the last primetime uh, Arrowhead game of the year. So, of course, I got tempted and, and am now going. I wasn't going to go originally, but I uh, have to go. Uh, I already told, I told Pete a few weeks ago I, I, I wasn't going to be going to a game in a little bit, so he's going to maybe be a little salty with me there. But, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm excited for, for the game. It's, a, you know, AFC, it's an AFC game, and it's you know, a, obviously a team the Chiefs have history with a little bit, and they've gotten, their, you know, got, gotten them a few times in the regular season. So a little revenge factor for the Chiefs, you know, not wanting to uh, you know, come out of the bye week flat against a run-heavy team. So I'm, I'm excited, but we'll talk about that later. Yeah, it's a good opportunity for the Chiefs to keep up what's been a, a pretty good season so far. If, if you look at the results, we talked about this last week, it kind of feels like the Chiefs are now looking and playing basically how we thought and hoped that they would prior to the season. There are some interesting stats that came out over this last week that, that I thought we could we could talk through. Uh, first, I got to start off with Patrick Mahomes' stats just because that, that's always fun. Uh, Christian Gumminger said Patrick Mahomes is averaging two and a half touchdowns per game in his <laughs> career, which on its surface is, is absurd. But then you look at the next best uh, guy is uh, Aaron Rodgers, 2.09, Peyton Manning, 2.03. My God. So to be a half touchdown ahead of the Peyton Manning pace, I think is, is a feather in your cap as a quarterback. And Mahomes is also averaging over 300 yards a game. I don't know about you, but I remember the days when – a 300-yard game for a quarterback was like a big deal. You know, it was – Especially in Kansas ESPN, City. You're the player of the week. 300-yard uh, game for quarterbacks was a, was a remarkable game, especially, yeah, for a Chiefs quarterback. Right. And now Mahomes, that's an average game for him. Yeah, shout-out Christian, our guy. Um, I, he, he's, always, he's always bringing out the, the good little nuggets on Twitter. But, uh, no, the, the Mahomes – stuff is crazy this year i i, I do think he's he I, I kind of tweeted it out but you know it's him josh allen jalen hurts really as the qbs and mvp discussion and and i really don't think you know mahomes is out of it. we actually just saw josh allen kind of have a rough end to sunday night even though they, they beat the packers i don't know man i, I think mahomes is is very firmly and and you wrote about it you actually wrote about it for the site uh you know that our midseason uh mm-hmm. reward awards um and and uh, yeah i think mahomes is firmly in the mvp uh conversation i i, I think he's he's trending towards being the favorite if he uh, play, plays like he did last week we're headed into the time of the season where it matters for the mvp voting because i think you get yeah. a little bit of a back-end bias yeah. you know who has been the best in that second half uh and then obviously the voting happens before the season's all the way over so uh, i i think you're in that sweet spot where where the mvp uh race will become more clear but if you look at career stats also for Mahomes, uh, Mark, the overseer on Twitter, points out first 70 career games, Mahomes is now number one in NFL history in wins, which is a quarterback stat, right? Uh, touchdowns, yards, and completions. So I, I, I'm trying to think about any other important quarterback numbers <laughs> but basically all of them Mahomes is the best there ever to ever do it already in in his first 70 games and as you mentioned that'll probably be true after 80 after 90 after 100 games like this is the this is a, the best start to a career we've ever seen as a quarterback and, and what he's doing on a consistent basis and really in many ways better than ever at this point it is phenomenal 
Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I tweeted this one out too, but uh, it, it goes to along with Mahomes. He, he's completing, or he, you know, forty-two percent of his dropbacks are resulting in a first down conversion, and it was forty-one point nine, and that was the highest number for a single season quarterback. Ray, obviously, you know, we're halfway through the season. Um, since like two that he's, I think he only went back to like the turn of the century. And it was over guys like, you know, MVP Matt Ryan in 2016, Peyton Manning, his, his greatest year in Denver. Um, so we're seeing Mahomes, you know, as efficient as ever, too. So it's, it, it really is impressive. And uh, another thing, too, that kind of proves it is, you know, among full-time quarterbacks this year, Mahomes is the NFL leader and passer rating from a clean pocket. Now, I know it's like, well, you know, you got to be good against pressure and everything, but I think. I think, uh, you know, performance from a clean pocket is a good indicator of just, you know, from a from a, a raw standpoint, kind of, you know, leaving a lot of context out of it. Like, how is a quarterback performing? And he is the the best passer rating in a clean pocket. So I think that just kind of tells you the offense is humming, too. I think it tells you the offense is working, but that he, he is does. playing. Yeah, he's yeah, just playing as well from the pocket. Right. Like that's that's been right. That's been part of the story of this season is that he's evolved as a pocket passer as the nuanced quarterback and not just a, you know, this, this gunslinger that some people who don't watch him every week uh, <laughs> might, might think that he is. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think seeing him excel inside a structure uh, as the hey. podcast might uh, assume he doesn't do very often, but I, I think that does say something about his evolution and his ability to just be the, the maestro of this offense. Right. Yeah, another another quick one for the offense. I got the fact that three Chiefs are in the top eight of all NFL skill positions, so running back, receiver, tight end. Three Chiefs are in the top eight of passer rating when targeted, uh, minimum 15 targets, but Kelsey, McColl, and Clyde are all near the, you know, again, the top eight. The top of the list of, of when they're targeted, it's a very, very high passer rating. Kelsey's uh, number two in, or number three in the NFL just behind Stephon Diggs and uh, you know, a, a more limited receiver, but I don't know. I think that also just shows you that, you know, those guys, I, I mentioned Kelsey, McColl, Clyde are being maximized in the passing game um, to an extent as well. And and so they, again, the offense is humming. That's interesting when you talk about McColl being on that list, because we're obviously always very critical of where he's not where he's supposed to be. And, and, you know, the, the chemistry looks off and somebody's pointing after a play, right. I wonder if that stat was skewed by his three touchdown performance uh, this last week a little bit. Of course, two of those are rushing, so that may. Yeah. yeah. No, that's my. That was my first thought too. But you're right. Two of them were handoffs. But I guess the you know the one is still a touchdown, and he does get plenty of you know pop pass or you know quick passes and stuff like that. So, but yeah, it is an interesting note either way. They should keep throwing the ball to Clyde, but apparently, uh, to quote Ron Cop Jr. on Twitter uh, at Ron underscore. K-O-P-P, <laughs> the Chiefs have the second-best EPA on first and second downs running in the NFL, and they're first in the NFL in team run block win rate. All of a sudden, is this a, is this a rushing team, Ron? Yeah, that last one's an ESPN stat, and then, um, yeah, the, the first one is, a, you know, it's just an efficiency stat, right? It's just how you know, much are you adding to the success of the, you know, the, the point total on each run, you know, how, how close, much closer are you getting yourself to it? And 
somehow on early downs, the Chiefs are the second most efficient at, at doing that when they're running the ball. And, and that did amaze me because I, I have not been super impressed with, with you know, the, the run game and how they've been able to dictate games. We've only seen it a few times, um, and it feels like it's still in limited sample size. Even the, the Niners game, I feel like we didn't see you know, it, it as much as we could have. So I was surprised by that, but I think it does tell you that the offensive line is blocking in the run game well. I, I do think there's been some bad snaps. The Colts game wasn't their, their best game in either phase of the game, but they are blocking – well, in the run game, they are firing off and, and creating lanes and spaces, and that's where that ESPN run block win rate comes from. But maybe where we're not impressed, or maybe my eye test isn't as impressed, is just maybe we're still not seeing the running backs maximize it. And, and that's where maybe we saw that shakeup trying to get Pacheco starting, you know, or, or you know, this the starter, quote unquote. Um, although Andy did address it and said, "Hey, look, it was just a way for us to try to get in more than ten snaps." And I I appreciate that honestly. I do think that's an honest answer from Andy. He was just. You know, they were trying to get Pacheco more involved. So I think they are trying to get the run game more, you know, uh, uh, effective, I guess, or more impactful. And I think you're kind of seeing the line is ready to get to there. And, and we kind of need the backs to follow in their footsteps and to really put it all together. Yeah, I mean, it's it's somewhat surprising to see that the EPA on second down runs is up there because that's been a frustration for a lot of Chiefs fans watching the, the, this team is – yeah, they throw on first down, they get an incompletion. Second and 10 is almost always a run. And it's usually one of those outside zone type runs that is not Clyde's strength. And then you end up behind the eight ball, you know, right, right off the bat. Um, and so the fact that there is some efficiency there, maybe that we haven't seen. Um, and, you know, like you said, the offensive line's getting the job done you'd really like to see that balance attack come back. Let's, let's see that Tampa Bay, you know, tight balance attack that, uh, uh, that we saw, you know, that week going right. forward, it's only going to help everybody. And I think they've got the, the, the backs to, to rotate for all the criticism of these guys. Um, you know, Clyde hasn't been bad and, and Pacheco, you know, ha, has been really good in, in, at times. And I think if you, continue to combine those two you've got a formula that works yeah and and you know just on the running back topic i mean we kind of saw ronald jones the the forgotten man um feel forgotten right on twitter he was kind of hinting at the fact that he'd like to be released maybe given an opportunity to play elsewhere because he's still a really young player um but i i do think you know i i don't see the chiefs releasing him um i i, I think they stuck on you know kept him this long for a reason I do think at some point, whether it's because of injury, whether it's just, you know, with wear and tear as the season goes, kind of ha- giving fresh legs to a player like Jones, I do think there's still a role for him at some point. And if the run blocking, you know, continues to, you know, be strong, Jones might be the one to, you know, take advantage of it the most. I mean, honestly, I, I, I still, you know, depending on how they run it, right. I'm not talking about the outside zone stuff. I'm talking downhill stuff and, so that's where, you know, it, it, the front game is fascinating where like, is there just this wrinkle? They're just waiting to kind of pull out for when they really need it, you know, later in the season. We're still early, very early in this process. Perhaps. I mean, it, it, it's tough to see through this depth chart of, you know, McKinnon is still getting a ton of snaps and, and you know, doing some of the little things that helps the team. And you've got Clyde and Pacheco that, you know, should be more versatile. So, 
you know, you'd really have to have, like you said, a, a significant injury to, to one yeah. or more of those guys before Jones gets up. And players, you know, teams don't necessarily like to release a player just because they asked for it, but players right. who ask to be released tend to not be around for that much longer one way or the other. <laughs> so uh, we'll see. Well, on to the defensive side of the ball, you have some good stats for us on that side of the ball, Ron. Yes, absolutely. No, I, I've I've been thinking about the Chiefs defense a lot lately. I got a piece coming out uh, looking at the run defense, kind of you know what what to make of it. But uh, the first stat I the first stats I want to throw out is is talking about the pass rush and and when it's been a, a hot topic with Spags kind of scheming up a lot of pass rush, getting them to seventh in the NFL in sacks and team pressure rate. But it's still very underwhelming from the edge rushing group, right? And and that's where. You know, the, the linebackers, cornerbacks blitzing, and then Jones pressure from wherever he's coming from. That's been getting it done, but it's we're still not seeing a lot from the edge group. And the numbers bear it out. So we have what? You know, we have George Karloftis, Frank Clark, and Carlos Dunlap as the three guys that get primary snaps, right? Those really are the three the three dudes right now. And, and we'll see Dana more as, as he gets coming back from injury. Karloftis is getting pressure at an 8.8% uh, rate. Uh, Clark is getting pressure at a 7% clip and Dunlap 7.6%. Those are all really low numbers. And if you combine the, the, the three of them, it's, it's, you know, a 7.9% pressure rate you're getting from your entire edge position. And, you know, I, 10% is a, is a good number, you know, nine, 8% is like a, you know, it, it, they're really flirting with a, a really, really ineffective, really, you know, unproductive, um, you know, gr- being, you know, they are honestly right now an unproductive group. And that's where, you know, the talk of getting a, you know, an adding to an edge rush to the group is viable, right? Because at some point you're going to need guys to just get pressure and, 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 and win. And, and right now, you know, it, it seems like Clark had his best game and then he gets suspended for a couple of games. Um, so that's always annoying, but you know, it's it still, it didn't seem to be super consistent this year. Um, and I'd, I'd be, I'd like to see him, uh, you know, step it up, but uh, I don't know. Stags, what do you think about the edge rushing group? Yeah, I mean, I, I think those stats can be um, deceiving on the surface, right? If you just look at overall pressures and sack rates and things like that, you know, and, and yeah, this team obviously lives by the blitz at this point. That's what makes everything work. They're edge rushers. The fact that Karloftis is first overall and he doesn't yet have a, a sack uh, to his name, right? Yeah, uh, he's, he's uh, you know, again, not been bad, not been, you know, right. crazy good, Um they, there's certainly some room in that room for additions, and today is one of the last days to do it. So, uh, as uh, many have speculated and talked about, you know, the the trade season is upon us uh, today. As you're listening to this, the trade deadline probably has already passed. The Chiefs have made one move, adding a wide receiver, Kadarius Tony, but so far no moves on defense. Uh, where you would think that the number one need. Uh, would be uh, on uh, uh, on this team overall, and you know, time the clock is ticking. There, what do you think they're going to make a move at this point? Yeah, I, 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 part of me just continues to go back to the fact that we saw this off season. They really are serious about you know a long term um, picture um, compared to a short term build, and I think the Tony move kind of does bear it out. You know, we haven't even talked about it yet because it happened right after we recorded pretty much last week. Um, but, you know, I, I do think the Kadarius Tony move is, is d- definitely more about, you know, what can he give you, you know, uh, in the last two or three years of his rookie deal rather than maybe this year necessarily. So, yeah, no, I, 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 
I tend to say that they're not going to make a move. I tend to say, you know, they're just going to compete with the team they have and, and uh, you know, kind of build again, build, you know, not give up too much draft capital um, for some of these difference making guys that, you know, there is a Josh Allen or Brian Burns that could make a difference in the long term, but you're giving up a lot of draft capital to get them. So that's, that's where it's hard for me to see them doing that. Yeah. I can see both sides of it. I mean, I, I wouldn't, would not want them to do a rental at this point. Right. Cause you've got, yeah. you know, the, yeah, they're trying to win now, but, can they win now with who they have? Probably. This defense has been good enough so far to win them a title, um, as long as the offense is humming the way the way it does. But as you look at some of the, the long-term future of this team, the edge rusher is going to be the number one need next year's draft. It's going to be probably the number one need the draft after that, right? And they've got Karloftis on contract, but pretty good chance Clark is gone. A pretty good chance Dunlop is gone. And so – yeah, they're going to need bodies there. So if they could lock in a guy now that is going to be there for the next you know three to five years, then it's worth some draft capital. And if you look at the cost, we always talk about these drafts being these draft pick trades being expensive. So Kadarius Tony, that was my first objection. Is like, ooh, you know, two draft picks, a three and a six for you know for a player that you know was that nobody wanted really. I was I was speculating in my head like who are the chiefs bidding against why is the compensation so much yeah but if they waited till the draft and then went to get a player like a brian burns or a josh allen um you know how much draft capital would it take for them to move up from pick 32 presumably uh or 31 to to wherever they need to to get a guy like that uh, I saw you turn your head there when I said pick 31 because isn't there somebody who doesn't have a <laughs> oh yeah 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 so there's only going to be 31 picks anyway so <laughs> how much draft capital does it take to move up even a handful of spots yeah. they're going to give up you know a one and a two and something else you know to get this type of pass rusher in the draft so you know what's the difference between doing that and doing it now for somebody who's proven so I could see the case for for going all in, if you could get a hold of an Allen or a Burns and say at least one of those spots is locked down long-term, Carlotta's is here long-term, now you can build around that for, for the future. Even if it costs you a bunch of capital, it was going to anyway. So, yeah. you know, uh, at least you know what you're getting. But, uh, you know, it's it, my gut says that they're probably not going to do anything substantial and that if they make a trade, it's going to be underwhelming, uh, you know, but – but yeah, yeah. We'll no, that is a good point though. On it, like you're right. I mean, there's especially at that position, right? The edge rushing position, like you to to draft those top tier guys like Brian Burns and Josh Allen, who guess where they went? Very high in the draft. You got to trade up and get them. So you're gonna have to give up draft capital, you know, a, a good amount either way if you want to get a, a young playmaker like that. So it is a good point. I got a few more defensive stats for you. Um, missed tackle time. I'm gonna talk about a few missed tackle stats. So. Justin Reed is the team's leader with eight missed tackles. And that is compared to Juan Thornhill's four. And I thought that was kind of interesting because, you know, they, they, they are very interchangeable in terms of the free safety, strong safety um, looks. Uh, you know, they both kind of play similarly around the line of scrimmage and back. Um, they kind of switch back and forth. So Reed, you know, I, there have been some missed tackles, right? We've seen them. And I, and I definitely think Juan's been a, a little better. I, I think the eye test says that too. But just to, for comparison, for reference sake, 
through seven games last year, Dan Sorensen had 13 missed tackles, which is, you know, again, five more than Justin Reed has and nine more than Juan. My God. You're good at, good at math, Ron. I'm, I'm impressed. <laughs> I think it's Sorensen, yeah, there's no comparison. This safety group has been upgraded. And I, I don't know where um, Tyron Matthew ranks on that list, but I would imagine that, you know, his, I did not look. Yeah. His ability as a tackler is not what he's famous for at this point in his career. We'll say it that way, at least. So uh, if you, you know, if you sub those two guys out for, for the two they have this year, uh, I'm, I'm still pretty happy with that group. Although, yeah, I, I think Justin Reed has, has some room to improve there. I think there's been a couple of, a couple of plays that he had a real opportunity to make that he didn't uh, uh, still a pretty solid overall uh, season so far. Right. And, and so on the flip side, positive missed tackle stat, uh, Nick Bolton leads the entire team uh, with the lowest missed tackle rate, which is 2.9%. So I believe that means that's shocking. I, I, I honestly, I'm not sure if PFF does it by uh, percentage of snaps or percentage of tackle attempts. Um, I, I bet it's tackle attempts. I can't imagine he misses tackles on 3% of his snaps. Um, no, it's, it's attempts for sure. Yeah. Right. Right. And so, um, yeah, that would make sense. And then he has the ninth best rate among NFL linebackers, which I, I noticed, you know, a few of those above him have played significantly less snaps than him as someone that plays three downs, you know, all game. So, no, it is it is just cool. Uh, you know, to kind of see the numbers bear out that, yeah, Nick Bolton, he's just a sure tackler, right? Like once he gets his hands on you, you're you're not usually getting out of his grasp. So, uh, yeah, shout out Nick Bolton. Yeah, I mean, for all the the talk about, you know, him being soft against the run or, or you know, gets blocked too easily or whatever, uh, when he gets a chance to get his hands on somebody, yeah, it's over. And, and I think that's a, that's what you want from your linebacker, especially your mic. And, and I think he's uh, – you know, there's a lot we don't know about their assignments and, and their game mm-hmm. plan and the way that they, they line them up. Uh, but by, by most all measures that matter, I think Bolden is, is right up there with the better uh, linebackers of his variety in the league. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, no, we, we, we ran through my stats, Stag. So do you have any more or, or what should we, uh, should we push to? Yeah, let's jump into some questions, man. We got a lot of good questions this week from you on Twitter. So keep those coming. Uh, we love to, to go through your questions. We have a, a really a, a doozy that we'll get to. I think maybe we should get to this one after the break uh, when we talk about uh, the priorities for this team going forward. Uh, so maybe let's try to get a, a quick question or two in, and then we'll go to break. First of all, from, once again, our guy, Christian Gumminger. Uh, teams went all in on this season to dethrone the Chiefs as the AFC favorite. The Chiefs responded with playing the long game. Eight weeks in, should the Chiefs stay the course or overpay to contend now? Yeah, this goes along with the the talk the talking point we just had, right? Is is that yeah, I I, I think what the the Chiefs have shown is that they're trying they are trying to stay the course. I think, you know, this offseason and again the Tony move I do think is a good example of it too, where you know you're 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 getting guys on rookie deals, uh, you know, and that that you know you have a chance to develop them over that time of the, the deal. You know, you're not you know, overpaying for a rental, like you kind of mentioned. So I, I would say stay the course. And, and, and yeah, that's where I think we're, we're at here, Sags. We're staying the course. Yeah, this is still a very young team. And I think we made the point last week that a lot of the – a lot they're playing a lot of rookies. And at this time of year, yeah. coaches will say rookies are no longer rookies. They're, this is their time to shine. And I think you're starting to – 
you're starting to see those contributions from the young players and that should only get better. So mortgaging the future for, for a veteran to come in that would only, you know, block the development of some of those young guys is not necessarily, um, you know, going to be top of top of mind for this team. I don't think right. so. I think they have a good long-term plan. If they find somebody that fits that plan and, and maybe they already have, by the time you hear this, then we're for it, but we don't anticipate them uh, selling the farm for, for uh, aging veterans or anything like that. Yeah. It made it a little more sense last year with Melvin Ingram, I think. And, and they didn't, you know, trade the, the farm for him or anything. Uh, but it, I feel like it just did make a little more sense last year. Uh, you know, their philosophy has changed, you know, we've seen it their perspective on, you know, roster building has changed. So yeah, that's, that's where I just feel like it, it, it does. It all po- signs are pointing to them staying put. And I, and I think that'll be the case. Thomas Ramirez, do you think the secondary getting healthy helps the pass rush get home more? I think there's some truth to that. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think there's some truth to cornerbacks not being as confident and just uh, three step drop and, and and throw it, you know, right off the, the back foot because they, they know they have, a you know, a, a Joshua Williams on one side that was playing D2 football last year and, and you know, uh, hopefully not Rashad Fenton. I don't think we'll see much of Fenton anymore, by the way. Um, I, I, I think it's rookie time as we just kind of talked about. So I think there is something to that. Yeah. I think McDuffie maybe just, you know, I, he is a little more of a, a pure cover corner. He's first round pick for a reason. So if, if he kind of, uh, you know, dissuades quarterbacks a little more than Josh Williams and Jalen Watson does, then yeah, I think it helps a little bit. Yeah. I do think McDuffie's the key there having that one corner that you feel like you can line up uh, against, at least one side of the field and have pretty good confidence that it's at least going to give the quarterback pause trying to throw in that direction, then that certainly does slow their progressions down a little bit. And it gives you the opportunity to get home. There's been a lot of pressure with not a lot of sacks uh, while they are actually improved in sacks this year as well, but there's still a lot more pressure than there is. There there have been sacks. And so, yeah, you, you need that extra beat, that extra, hesitation and with him back i think it also frees up sneed a little bit more uh to to move around and be that you know the robber the whatever the the role he's in which allows him to uh make some plays on the ball and again make it more difficult for opposing quarterbacks to to get the ball out quickly so i think those two are very complementary things and and i think mcduffie is is the key Speaking of who is the key, Lil Cheeseburger on Twitter. <laughs> who is the most important person on defense? Go Chiefs. <laughs> well, this is Andy Reid's favorite uh, Twitter user, Lil Cheese. Although I think he'd want a big cheeseburger, probably not Lil Cheeseburger, I guess. Yeah, well, it does say Lil Cheeseburger <laughs> 7, so maybe seven Lil Cheeseburgers would be all okay, right. Okay, now we're talking. Now we're talking. Uh, who's the most important person on defense? I mean, it's very obviously Chris Jones to me. I um, mean, I think. We all agree with that. Again, uh, the midseason awards at AP, we all, it was unanimous, right? That we all voted Chris Jones. I don't think there was a, yeah, I believe it was. But so if, if we're taking him out of the question, you know, I, I kind of thought about this. You know, I, I think Nick Bolton is probably the easy answer because of, you know, what role he plays, the position he plays. But I want to say Willie Gay Jr. because I think the last four weeks, some of the flaws you've seen in the defense, I think he is kind of the guy that, that, that can patch them up and, and, and kind of make them, you know, kind of maximize what they got going on right now. Um, and, and so I think his absence did, you know, uh, uh, sh- you know, show some flaws and, and kind of, you know, the playmaking 
at the second level a little bit, you know, having to have Darius Harris and Leo Chanel play a lot more snaps and then they probably will have to moving forward. And I think Willie Gay Jr. Uh, kind of filling in that patch, you know, all of a sudden, you know, that that weakness is, is not exposable anymore. And and so I, I that's I don't know. I it, It's a tough question, Stags. Do you have somewhere to uh, somewhere else to go here? Yeah, with the assumption that we're excluding. So what's the most important non Chris Jones player on the defense? Uh, I think there are three guys that are right there in the conversation. They're all, you can make a case for any of them. So I'm going to go with the other of the three. Legere Sneed is my guy because of what he's able to do from a blitz perspective, uh, what he can do from, uh, you know, stopping the run, getting to the quarterback, causing turnovers. I think that he is that playmaker that they need because without him, then you've got some other guys who, you know, may be able to cover, may not, may, you know, yeah. but you don't have that guy that is going out there causing turnovers. The safeties have yet to to really do that on the level that you'd like to see them in the future. But uh, Sneed is that guy. So Sneed, Bolton, Gay, you could argue any of the three could be second to Chris Jones. So uh, I'll go with Sneed. You, you went with uh, Gay. I think those yeah. are both very valid. And, and I think, I think Nick Bolton obviously has a case as well as being that just super reliable tackler. And, and he started to make some plays in the, in the past game as well. So I, I think, uh, I, I think you've got, uh, you've got three second place, A, B, and C there. Yeah. And, and I do think, I, I think Sneed's probably, you know, it makes me want to, you know, say Sneed honestly too, when you think about it, because he does affect every asset of the ga- uh, aspect of the game. He is the one creating the most turnovers being used that way. And, and yeah, when you think about who, you know, when someone gets removed off the field, that's where Bolton maybe has the argument. Cause yeah, imagine if Bolton maybe, you know, can't play and they have to go to, you know, Chanel at the Mike linebacker, you know, I, if you think the run defense has gotten gashed before, you know, I think it could be really bad in that, in that scenario, depending on the team. So yeah, I, I think it's a really good discussion. Um, and, and, and I think Snead probably, I, I think Snead probably has the best, just because, again, he affects so many aspects of the game. So I, I like your answer. I, I like it more than mine already. <laughs> well, with that, let's find some time for our sponsors to weigh in. We'll give them a chance here as we take a break. But before we go, Ron, the Would You Rather of this week, uh, since you usually have these, I've got one for you. The Chiefs are going to face the Titans this week. So this is an age-old question, but would you rather try to tackle Derrick Henry or Tyreek Hill? That'll be your that'll be your would you rather uh, as we go to break. Stick with us on the Out of Structure podcast. Lots more questions coming up right after this. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. 
Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we're back on the Out of Structure podcast. Thanks for sticking with us. The question of the day or of the hour uh, for Ron, would you rather tackle Derrick Henry or Tyreek Hill? Yeah, I, I think it's, it is pretty easy because, you know, at least with trying to tackle Tyreek Hill, you don't like end up, you know, with just bones absolutely like crushed and, and you know, organs flattened and, and you know, pretty bad, severe injuries in the hospital. At least it's, it's more just your pride being stolen and, and you're kind of maybe your ankles. I guess you could probably twist an ankle or two trying to tackle Tyreek Hill. So, uh, yeah, I, I if you want to ask me which one do I feel like I have the best chance at, I probably would say Derrick Henry just because at least I may be able to just like get in his way and like maybe trip him up because I, you know, you're not touching Tyreek, but in terms of, <laughs> in terms of me wanting to, to, to be a fun, fully functioning human being afterwards, I'll, I'll, I'll go with Tyreek. It's not a bad answer. I, I had this vision of, you know, being able to, to get a hold of Derek Henry's ankles or something and, and uh, you know, uh, maybe have a shot there just to, like you said, tie him up, but uh, just grab an air trying to get anywhere near Tyreek Hill. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah. Would you, would you rather hurt your pride or the rest of your body is, is a, is a tough, would you rather, but at Jake Wilson for now has a, at Jake, at Jake Wilson at Jake for now, excuse me, uh, has the question of the day here. I think we we're going to do a whole segment here about this one. If Brett Veach asked each of you to rank the chiefs top three current and or future personnel priorities, what would they be? And how would you suggest he address them? I'm going to answer first right off the top. His first priority has to be to hire a better staff because if he's asking us yeah. as opposed to the rest of his staff, he, the Chiefs have bigger issues than, than we think. But uh, that being said, Ron, what's your first priority for the, the current and the future personnel group? There's a, there's a few ways to go with the first overall priority, the top priority. But, you know, thinking through it, I, I really do think the most important thing when you're talking about a Chiefs team that is built with the pass offense, built with an MVP quarterback, you know, I, I, I do think it's important that we we don't just get used to creating so much, uh, you know, turnover in the receiving room every offseason. Right. I, I do think they can get away with it, but. I think when you have uh, the ability to uh, sign a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster, you know, extend him, obviously, you know, he's, he's in a one-year deal right now. If you have the opportunity to extend him, you know, two or three seasons uh, at the current moment, right, before he hits free agency, I, I do think there's – I really like that opportunity. I really like, uh, you know, the thought of that because I do think you've seen quickly that him and Mahomes have built a, a sort of chemistry that – I do think is, is, has been noticeable in terms of, you know, unlocking some of the stuff the Chiefs haven't been able to do with the back shoulder throws, but also still excelling what the Chiefs have always liked to do, right, in those slant throws, those quick passes. And so he does really fit the offense. You know, he is a, he, he's a guy that I do think they can, you know, they, he, they can maybe get for cheaper than, you know, maybe, he, he, he might be willing to take a team-friendly deal knowing that he just went through free agency the last couple of years not getting that big deal. And I just think with the receiver room experiencing a lot of, you know, McColl's we've talked about already, but McColl and MBS not going to be on the team next year. And Juju's slated not to be. I do think this is one way to kind of just give Mahomes a little more continuity, uh, you know, in the receiving room going forward than just Sky Moore, the rookie who, you know, it seems like more and more just 
may not even be making that big of an impact until next year. So what do you think about Juju extending him, trying to get him maybe for the next few years? Yeah, I, I think that gives you one sure thing in the wide receiver room where everything else is somewhat of a question, right? So Juju is just, he's been consistent. He's been the move the chains guy, but he's also gotten downfield, broken tackles, scored touchdown. Like there's, there's not much question anymore about his ability to, to help this offense. And I think he's just such an ideal fit. It makes all the sense in the world. I was hoping that when he signed here, it would be a multi-year deal because you would think that maybe they were buying low at that time. His stock is certainly up at this point, so he's going to want to bet on himself. He's probably going to want some decent bucks um, yeah. given the, the way this market looks. So this might be not the most realistic thing in the world, but I think that he would want to stay. Um, if they paid him, you know, enough that he didn't feel the need to hit the market. Yeah. So and I, I think that's, it's going to cost you. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think just real quick, there's a point to make that he is still so young, you know, maybe they can sell him on the fact that, look, if we extend you for just a couple more years, you're still hitting for agency at a, at a 28, you know, 28 years old, which is still a pretty good age for a wide receiver in today's NFL, you know, so maybe he can, they can sell him on, look, you know, build up your, your numbers, your stats here in Kansas City with us. Let's try to win a ring. And then you still have an opportunity to, to get a big deal down the road as well. So maybe they can try that, that angle too, I guess. Yeah, something to be said for that. Well, while they're handing out bucks, um, it might make some sense to extend the most important player on the defensive side of the ball too. Uh, Chris Jones is going to be up after this year. You know, he is coming up on that age where the Chiefs generally don't pay players, but – they make an exception, I think, now and then with a guy like Travis Kelsey, who's you know the best at what he does, and Chris Jones right now is the best at what he does. And so um, I would love to see them offer Chris Jones a, a new deal. It would be it'd be huge money, uh, but keeping him from hitting free agency, taking care of your best player on the defensive side of the ball without getting into a, a – you know, a, a contentious, you know, a, a, a negotiation that is yeah. rough uh, when it comes to free agency time. You don't want to have to franchise tag him. You don't want to have to have that pulled out discussion. Uh, can you just say, hey, we'd like to reward you with a, with a new deal, uh, keep you in Kansas City where you belong, and offer him, you know, it's going to be, again, substantial money, but maybe you can do it, you know, uh, in, in a way that is – structured that it works for the team uh, as well yeah no I, i'd love to see chris you know play his entire career here it, it would be annoying to see him go have success anywhere else and and that is you know my second priority is you know i i say add legitimate edge rushing talent i do think you can bore down to just making sure you have top tier pass rushing talent in some extent next year or if, you know for the foreseeable future and i do think chris jones fits into that if you if you can, you know, secure Chris Jones for multiple years, yeah, keep building around him with with draft picks, and that's fine with me. I'm I'm fine with that. You know, get get guys, you know, find guys that and try to build this rotation, you know, similar to what the Bills are doing, where you know you just have a, a you know a ton of you know maybe just above average guys that that eat up a lot of snaps, you know, even good good guys, and it's centered around a top tier pass rusher like Chris Jones. But if they can't, you know, if, if for whatever reason, which I I don't I don't. I don't know how to speculate on that, but it doesn't seem like, you know, I think that's just more of a fan speculation that, you know, he could be traded or something, Chris Jones. But 
if there is for some reason he's not on the team next year, I, I do I, I do think it's very important for them to to get an actual top tier you know pass rusher um and and that's where it just might have to be through the draft because the free agency uh, candidates next year are not very good. I mean Bradley Chubb is really the only one that you could maybe get excited about and he may not even fit the system very well the way Denver's been using him the way he's excelled there. Um, so it's it, it does seem like. It, it makes sense to extend Chris Jones and then just try to keep building around him through the draft. But either way, you know, secure top tier pass rushing talent, whether it's extending Chris Jones, you know, making a blockbuster move, you know, for, for someone in this offseason. I mean, Josh Allen and Brian Burns could still be on the table or, you know, drafting a, a first round pick. I think that's the most likely way to do that. Yeah. If you look at the future of that room, I mean, you've got Karloftis, um, but what else do you have after this year? And so, I think if they make a move in season, it should be one of those guys that with a big future, uh, Allen or right. Burns. You know, if, if they're not going to do that, then is there anybody else in season that, that's worth trading for at this point? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I've noticed, or I, I kind of thought of Jerry Hughes. I, you know, I, I noticed that the Texans are someone that people are thinking are going to sell um, at the deadline. And it makes sense. They're, they're not a very good team this year. And Jerry Hughes, the former Buffalo Bills edge rusher, Having a good season for him, five sacks. He is under contract for the next two seasons. So if there is, you know, if there is this worry that the, if the Chiefs have a worry that, you know, it's going to be hard to find, you know, guys that we trust next year to, to create pressure and, and get rush, you know, maybe this can be kind of a short and long, you know, a bridge solution next year, you know, giving them a, a guy, you know, it's only a $6 million cap hit next year. This year it'll only be $2 million. So I do think that could be maybe a kind of a tweener pick where, you know, you get pass rushing for this year and, you get another year of a veteran that, that, you know, seems to be aging pretty well and, and can give, you know, if Frank Clark's on in this team next year, which the chiefs can save what 21 million. Yeah. 21 million against the cap next year by cutting in this off season, you may still want a veteran around. Right. And so mm-hmm. Jerry Hughes is just kind of interesting. It's, it's an interesting thought. Yeah. He, he's a pretty good pass rusher. I don't know if he's as well-rounded as some of the other guys um, in his game, but yeah, but you do want somebody that's a, at least a threat off the edge. Yeah, that Houston team is a mess, but they've been a mess for so long. They can't be surprised at where they're sitting at this time. So I don't know if uh, I don't know if they'll be selling. I'd imagine that there's going to be teams making calls there. We'll, we'll see what happens with that. The other name I just saw somebody mention was Arden Key, which was an offseason target yeah. of the Chiefs. Somebody that they I think visited with, or mm-hmm. uh, or at least uh, uh, flirted with the idea of adding, uh, and he went and signed a one year deal with Jacksonville, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they don't get Jacksonville's top target when it comes to pass rushers, could they settle for Arden Key? He's on a one-year, $4 million deal, so it's not going to break the bank, uh, but maybe gives you just a little bit of a extra juice um, and, and maybe in a different way. Yeah, no, I, yeah. And, and that's where it's a current and future, uh, you know, personnel decision, right? This is what goes going into his question. It's, it's kind of both. They need it. They need something for the long term. And, you know, you can make the argument that it, it wouldn't hurt for them to, to make a, a quick little short-term move. So either way, it's one of the top priorities. But my third priority um, in the big picture is this team really does need to solidify at least one edge of the offensive line. You know, ideally, you want both offensive tackles, you know, set in stone and, and you're feeling good about, right? But Wiley and Brown are both free agents uh, this offseason coming up. You have... A free agent class that has some interesting names, uh, younger names. Uh, you know, the Browns right tackle Jack Conklin, you know, age 28. He's been an all-pro kind of guy. Um, you know, 
former first-round picks like Andre Dillard and Isaiah Wynn are hitting free agency. The Packers' Elton Jenkins has been a really good versatile weapon. You know, the Chiefs love their versatile uh, players. He's played some right tackle. And so I, I, I do think that's where it becomes the third priority is that I think they have an opportunity here to, to you know, maybe make a splash and, and kind of, you know, maybe make another, you know, big swing at, at uh, you know, protecting Mahomes' blind side if – Orlando Brown doesn't improve because I do think Orlando Brown we're, we're seeing the up the, on his upward trajectory right now. He's playing. He, he played a very good game against the Niners. I don't think Wiley either way should be retained as a starter. You know, maybe there's a way they, they bring him back as a, a depth guy. So I just want to see at least one spot get solidified. And I don't really want it to just be, all right, you know, Brown played a little better as the, the season went on. So we'll just sign him to a big deal and call it good. But you know, if he proves it to be the case, uh, you know, he proved it. So we'll, we'll see how that goes, but either way they need to prioritize the offensive tackle position. Yeah. That, that tackle position is so it's hard to measure. I guess I'll say it this way. You can, you know, you can have a feel for how well they're playing. You can look at statistically how many sacks they gave up, but Brown hasn't given up. Uh, I don't think he's been credited with, with very many sacks at all this year, even though he's given up a fair amount of pressure and there's been some days for the eye test where you think that he hasn't played well. Um, so when he goes into contract negotiations after this season, he's going to argue that he's one of the top left tackles in the NFL, period. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's going to be a difficult conversation because it just feels very subjective. Uh, you know, we have our perspective. He's certainly got his perspective. I think the team wants to keep him around, but it'll be interesting to see how that negotiation goes after the season if they – how they evaluate his talent and his play this season, he might very well be a tag and trade type uh, situation this, uh, this off season. And then, yeah, you're left holding the bag when it comes to offensive tackles, they've got to add one. They've probably got to add two if, if that happens. So you listed off some names here and, and maybe we just, if we agree that those are the priorities, solidify offensive tackle, add a legitimate edge rusher, and extend your own guy, whether it's Juju or, or Chris Jones. Mm-hmm. Let, let's see if – can you narrow it down to to some specific names? Uh, like what about in the draft? Is there Are there draft prospects for tackle and for edge rush that you think should already be on the radar? Yeah, there are. Um, you know, the, the Northwestern tackle, Peter Skaronsky, is a, is a first-round pick this year, probably going to go higher than the Chiefs are going to be able to get him. Um, but, you know, kind of similar to Rashawn Slater, he's getting that kind of hype um, as a guy that can that can come in um, and, and play, you know, very solid football. But, you know, towards the, the back end of the first round, just looking at some mock drafts um, and, and, and I've looked at you know some prospects, but I haven't gotten too far into it. But, you know, there are some some guys that are starting to impress, um, you know, draft guys. You know, Georgia's left tackle, Broderick Jones is one of them. Um, Penn State's left tackle, Alumuye Fashanu. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go that that's correct. Uh, he's, wow. he's been playing yeah. well, apparently. Good effort. Yeah, I did see some clips of him this last week. Uh, oh, good. looked pretty impressive. I saw him put a couple guys to the ground. So, uh, yeah, he might be an option. Yeah, and then just Syracuse has a, a left tackle, Matthew Bergeron, who's been, who, and then Tennessee right tackle, Darnell Wright. Both the guys just impressive enough to be on, you know, the radar and mock drafts. So there are definitely some some options later in, in, in the uh, – in the, the first round or kind of just on that, you know, maybe even early day two, depending on where, uh, you know, the Chiefs end up picking where 
you know, it could give them maybe some some help at the offensive tackle position. So you're assuming they're going to have a first round pick this coming year, uh, and they were we're all going to be there in person watching them make it. Um, so adding a, a tackle, whether they have Brown in house at that point or not, adding one of these guys. To, did you see uh, early on, or any of these guys have left left and right versatility, or do you think that some of them are, are pure left tackles or pure right tackles? Yeah, you know, I I know the all the the uh, Jones, Fashanu, and Bergeron are all primary left tackles in, in college. They've all been playing the left tackle position. But I know Darnell Wright, the Tennessee right tackle, did get a chance at the left. Didn't play as well, maybe on that side, and then got moved to the right, and apparently is is really taken off since that move. So kind of good to know there that you know maybe that's more of a right tackle guy. Um, and and that's the thing I think in today's NFL, I don't think it's that big a deal. One, I, I should I just. I guess the, the way to put this is I think either side, as long as you have a really good one on, on that side, I think it's, it's, it's worthwhile. I don't think the left tackle is that much more important than the right tackle. I just think you need a guy that can lock down one of those edges and, and the quarterback to kind of f- feel confident in at least one of those guys. Yeah, they're both important for sure. I think there's just every year you hear some guys coming out in the draft and, and they say, well, this guy is a right tackle only. He can't move well enough to be a left right. tackle or, you know, things like that. So that, and I feel like later in the first, early in the second is when you start to get the premier right tackle prospects when the left tackle prospects are all are all starting to dry up. Um, in free agency at the tackle position, you had a few names as well, right? Yeah, and I, and I mentioned those. You got Jack Conklin, Andre Dillard, Isaiah Wynn, and, and Elkton Jenkins as guys that are, that are all, you know, uh, you know, in their 20s still, um, all, you know, in, in prime position you know, and, and still a good position to, uh, you know, be, be players that, you know, are worth paying at this point, right. You know, paying for their future years rather than paying what they've already done, which is always important in free agency, right. You want to kind of try to do that. And so I think all, all four of those names are, are good options and guys that can give you a play at, at either tackle position. Um, Jack, Jack Conklin's more of a right tackle only, but you know, Dillard, Wynn and Jenkins have all kind of played all over the place. So the chiefs like that versatility. So if Jake puts you on the spot here and you had to pick one of those eight or nine names you just listed to be your uh, tackle solution for 23, who's it going to be? Man, putting me on the spot. Um, you know, I, I will say I just from, you know, seeing the Packers over the last few years, it seems like Elton Jenkins is a really good player. Um, and I again, I mentioned, you know, he has the position versatility that the Chiefs have liked, but he's 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 played well at the tackle positions and the guard positions. And he is a guy that probably is going to demand a good amount of money. He's coming off his rookie deal. Um, Chiefs, the Packers didn't, I guess, uh, you know, ex- uh, sign him before uh, free agency, it looks like. But he's a guy that I'd be pretty excited about. He's 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 definitely a, a more than just a, an average lineman, in my opinion. He, he seems to be pretty impressive. All right. And up. I would probably stick with the draft here and, and maybe go with uh, uh, the big guy out of Georgia if he's available in the first round next year, assuming they have their first round pick. Uh, I think they've got enough bodies to get them through, you know, this season. Obviously, I, I've heard like Isaiah Wynn in the, tra- in the trade discussions uh, uh, this year. We'll see if he gets moved or not. But if not, he, he'd be available in another option that I would think about. But otherwise, uh, let's keep building for the future and keep drafting. Uh, hopefully yeah. drafting well. Uh, and then real quick on the edge rush, uh, do you have some some names you want to add to the that people should be paying attention to uh, for, for future pass rushing? Right, yeah. No, and, and, and if UK State fans know that 
and and I'm a big fan of him too, even as not a K State fan. Um, the edge rusher Felix Anudike Uzama, um, he's been having a really good year. Um, he's had a good career there for the Wildcats. Um, but there's also in the, uh, another Big Twelve guy that is is from Texas Tech, Tyree Wilson. He's kind of come on strong. Just a huge dude, apparently, just big frame, um, but but definitely has kind of those those skills of a kind of more of a juicy edge rusher. So it's kind of you know he, he's he's definitely climbing up boards because of all that. But then just kind of solid names to know that will probably be floating around the back end of the first round. Um, Notre Dame's Isaiah Foskey, Ohio State's Zach Harrison, LSU has a couple guys, B.J. Ojolari and Allie Gay. And then Georgia, Georgia's Nolan Smith might go a little earlier than, than we'd like uh, in Kansas City because he's a really good edge rusher too. But um, all names to consider because there, there is a good a batch of them um, kind of in that late day one, early day two range. So it, it'll be interesting to uh, follow as the draft kind of heats up this offseason. So who's your one ideal solution at edge rusher? Oh, it's Felix. Give me the the Wildcat, the K-State Wildcat. He also went to, I believe, one of the Blue Springs High Schools, if I remember correctly. It might be Lee Summit. But, uh, yeah, no, he's been really good for them. And and he's a guy that I targeted this offseason as, as someone that I kind of want. And he just fits what Spagnuolo wants at his DNs. He has some pass rush juice. He's, he's a strong dude. Bring him here. All right, so there's your answer. We're going to, uh, according to Jake's question, our three priorities, we're going to extend, Ron's going to extend Juju and then go straight to the draft and, and address both edge rush and uh, offensive tackle early on in the draft. Uh, I'm going to say that we'll try to extend Chris Jones and then add uh, a tackle in the draft, but maybe look at uh, edge rushers. You know, I could see them going with like a, um, a Dante Fowler as a, a yeah. reclamation project and, and, trying to build around Chris Jones. So right. uh, we'll see which of those plans comes to fruition, probably neither of them, but uh, those are really the key areas. It's pretty hard to argue with. I think those are the areas to address. Moving on and, and really also looking at the future, aim down sites on Twitter. Out of the prominent players on the team that are due for a new contract, who is most likely to stay with the Kansas City Chiefs after this season? So we've got a list here. I'll list them off and let you react first. Uh, McCole Hardman, Juju Smith-Schuster, so two of your key wide receivers. Orlando Brown Jr. Uh, and Andrew Wiley, those two tackles we talked about. We've got Juan Thornhill, Carlos Dunlap, Derek Nadi, Colin Saunders, uh, Jarek McKinnon, Rashad Fenton. Those are those are the, the, the top names. Uh, we'll use some air quotes around top names there, but those are the those are the big names. Uh, who are who do you think is most likely to stay? I feel like it's pretty easy. I mean, Juju feels like the most likely answer because um, I I think he's going to understand how important it is that he plays in this offense for his career, his stats, all that, um, and his his kind of his worth. And so I do think he's going to be motivated to stay here. I don't think that's the case for every other player, right? I don't think there's necessarily the same motivation for Hardman. I mean, Orlando Brown would probably like to stay here, but again, are the Chiefs going to offer him what he wants to to get? Um, and then Juan Thornhill is interesting, but again, I, I think there's a, a case to be made that he's going to try to get the biggest deal he can. And, you know, there's a chance the chiefs, you know, with Brian cook coming up, they maybe kind of say, Hey, you know, go find that deal. We're proud of you. And uh, you know, see ya. Cause he's having a good year. Um, but they're going to have to make those decisions, those tough decisions. So I'll say Juju. What, what do you think? Yeah. Thornhill is probably what, where I was going to land as far as the most likely to stay. Uh, he feels like somebody who's, 
a good piece to this defense, but not so well known outside of Kansas City that he's going to demand a, a huge contract. Uh, so I think he's somebody that they might be able to work with. The rest of this list, for the most part, I think they let him walk. Wiley, right. Dunlop, Nadi, Saunders, Fenton, McKinnon. I wouldn't be surprised if all of those guys were gone next season. Uh, you can make a case for Saunders, who has been playing well, uh, you know, to come back on a, on a cheap contract. But uh, it'd be it wouldn't be that surprising to see a, a big turnover of, amongst that list and McCole Hardman being uh, one of the more likely players to not be on the roster. In fact, I feel like if there was a trade that happens at this deadline where a Chiefs player gets shipped off, it's McCole Hardman. I'm not sure that it's going to happen, but he feels like somebody who's enough of an asset that might garner some draft pick compensation, but not so critical to the team. And obviously in his last season uh, under contract, uh, probably not in the future plans. Uh, I could see McCall Hardman being somebody that they trade away to a team like the Packers who are desperate for a wide receiver, for example. Yeah, I like that point. I like that that thought because I do think McColl's the type of talent that that teams see and like, you know what, I can maximize him. The Kansas City just isn't giving him the opportunity, blah, blah, blah. You know, he's so fast. You know, we definitely have room for him in our offense, all that. And and yeah, so we can get into Takupa Loop's question um, because it does kind of, you know, go into, you know, what what is kind of the the effect from the Kadarius Tony trade on on the rest of this receiver room? McColl specifically, um, you know, he asked who's getting cut or traded for the Tony edition. I don't think any receivers are getting cut or traded, but now they have six receivers in the room all of a sudden. Um, and and I, I guess I should say, I don't think anyone's getting cut. Cause I do, I do like the, the entertainment of Hardman as the, as a trade idea. So yeah, I, I, I do think it's kind of, it's kind of a really bunched up group. I'm really interested to see how the chiefs handle it, but you know, I, I do think there's, there's reason to believe that one of them kind of, there might be, it might make sense to kind of let one of them, you know, yeah. walk, go, right? You're, you're talking yourself into this idea here, Ron, the, that I, there's going to be a crowded room there. I don't know that they can carry six wide receivers with as many tight ends as they have as well, because you've got Blake Bell coming back from IR at some point here. Right, exactly. Uh, all of a sudden, you've got a crowded tight end room. You've got a crowded wide receiver room. They're already carrying a lot of running backs. I'm not so sure that they don't need to get at least one of these guys off the roster. And that's what made me think about McColl because Justin Watson would be the next guy to go, but he's got value on special teams. I guess you got Marcus Kemp on the roster now too, uh, who has big special teams value. You know, you could see one of those two bottom of the roster players getting caught and put back on the practice squad. Um, but I don't know that anybody else has trade value uh, the, the way McColl might. Yeah. And so if you look at what Kadarius Tony does and what McCole Hardman does, to me, it's more of a direct effect on Hardman than it is Sky Moore. Because I think they have really a good idea that Sky Moore is going to be a, a full-time wide receiver. He's going to be a full route tree, down the field type receiver. Yeah, he can do some of that other stuff that Hardman does, but I don't think there's any idea that Sky Moore is a gadget player. Now, Kadarius Tony so far has not proven anything in the NFL at all. So nobody really knows what he is. But from a physical trait standpoint, he's got that short area quickness. He's got that difficult to bring down, you know, uh, right. ability to get 
to spread out an offense or spread out a defense and, and make some plays. So I feel like Tony could be more of a gadget type player, especially at first, while they develop Sky Moore as a long-term wide receiver. And and Hardman has been the gadget player that has not developed into the receiver. So I feel like the combination of those two guys pushes Hardman out more than it does anybody else. Yeah, my pushback would be, you know, in the short term to get Tony going, you know, I do think a lot of the stuff Hardman does, you know, that's gadgety. It does look simple, but it, it is from four years of, you know, working under Andy Reid and, and being in the offense and the timing and the rhythm of, you know, the the motions and and kind of just a lot of stuff that does go into, you know, Hardman on those those design plays. I don't think it's as easy to just plug in Tony for those, but maybe the way we've seen Sky Moore be utilized kind of in recent weeks, right? I think you saw it in the Tampa game. They started, they wanted to get him the ball on slants. And then the Raiders game, it was just a couple quick screen passes. And then, you know, I think in these last couple of weeks, it's just been, you know, regular routes, but, you know, maybe just kind of quicker throws. That's where I think maybe it might just be easier to kind of, you know, if, if they want to get Tony the ball in his hands, you know, that, that could be the the easier way, to, I guess, to, to get him in, get him going is maybe, you know, eat into some of those, snaps for sky more you know immediately now in the long term obviously yeah i i think you know i, I don't know both players are pretty raw so i don't want to make any declarations on on because you know Kadarius tony was was a you know was a higher pick than sky more and and was you know i know it's because of physical traits and sky more maybe was a cleaner route runner as a prospect but you know tony can still develop and so that's where you know in the long term i you know i'm i'm excited to see kind of both of them how they both develop but I, I do think there could be some chance that Tony maybe, you know, takes a little bit away from what Sky has, uh, you know, done with the offense in the short term, if, if they want to get him uh, Tony going at least. We'll see. Uh, Jameson Reber asked, how quickly does Tony integrate and how, climb up the depth chart? Where does he start in snap count? Um, and then who is the punt returner of those three? And I think that's that's the big question, right? Because we think that Tony has upside as a punt returner because of his physical abilities, although he hasn't done it a lot in, in his career. Um, it still feels like they're looking for the right solution at punt returner. Sky Moore doesn't appear to be that right solution. So either Hardman or Tony should be the punt returner when they face Tennessee. I Yeah, I agree. And, and I could see it being Tony um, if he's healthy because – yeah, he hasn't had much experience in the NFL, but he did do it quite a bit in college. He was the he was Florida's primary kick and punt returner for a lot of his career there, and so it is something he has more experience. You know, Sky Moore didn't do it at all in college. That's where it's always been kind of weird that the Chiefs, you know, pushed him into that role. Um, I get it; they want to get him the ball in his hands, but maybe maybe that's where you know to to counter my own point that I just made. Maybe that's where they can kind of say, look, now we have this Tony guy who can take the punt returns, who can kind of ease you know Sky away from that. And Sky can just focus on being a receiver. Maybe that's you know the flip side of this. So yeah, it, it, that's that's a fascinating thing. I think there's just so many different ways um, the Chiefs can handle this in the short term. I'm fascinated to see what it is. That's what I love about this podcast. Sometimes I could just sit back and let Ron argue with himself and uh, <laughs> make all the points for me. Uh, another question here from SoCal1186: Two number one picks to a struggling Rams team for Aaron Donald. Do the Rams say no? Hey, there's speculation out there that the Rams are offering two ones for Brian Burns, so maybe they uh, they take the two ones from the Chiefs and flip them for Burns. No, I I think this is this is a fun question, but a, but sort of an absurd one, right? Like there's 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 probably five players in the NFL that are completely untradeable, 
and Aaron Aaron Donald has to be one of them. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, he'd be he'd be a fun player to root for, but uh, you know, I think the, the Rams know that they have a, a Hall of Fame guy in terms of you know uh, uh, attention on them, marketing wise too, not just his play on the field. And he's starting to retire, uh, a, you know, a few too many times for my liking to be trading two first round picks for him. So, man, putting putting him and Chris Jones together would be a, a fascinating Very story fun. on Very the fun. interior <laughs> of a defensive line. And finally, from our guy Rocky Magania. Who's the better Chiefs assistant coach? Is it Alex Whittingham, Mark Richards, or is the correct answer really Ken Flajol? Yeah, Rocky, what are we doing here? Are we just, are we just <laughs> I'm just trying to, I don't know. It's 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 too early on a you know on the day to be thinking about uh, this deep into the assistant coaching staff. But everyone knows the the real answer is uh is Ryan Reynolds because I mean we apparently have a guy named Ryan Reynolds on our coaching staff. So <laughs> that's 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 the real answer. You know, we, we laugh here. I, I was going to vote for Tyler Judkins, but we, we laugh because this you can get deep into these staffs and you really have very little clue of what any of these guys actually do. There's not a lot of visibility to most of these roles. Andy Reid's never going to say, well, this offense is working because of Mark Richards. You know, it, it's, it's always a team effort. You're never going to be able to single one guy out. But in all seriousness, the Chiefs did make a few changes on their coaching staff that appear to be paying some dividends. I think Joe Colon has made a difference on the defensive line. I think that that group is playing uh, with a little bit more aggression. They're doing a little better job with stunts. And and I, I think you're getting a better approach from the defensive line. Um, are there any other assistants that, you've, that you can actually make a case that have made a difference? Yeah, no, Colin's definitely the obvious one, I would say, um, you know, and and I actually one cool thing is I've noticed recently there is a few times the Chiefs will sprinkle in a three, four front instead of a four, three on early downs. And basically, that's just a change up for the offense. All of a sudden, you know, the defensive linemen are two gapping instead of one gapping, which, you know, can throw off a defense, an offensive line in pass protection and and run defense and uh, or run blocking. And uh, so his influence is kind of being, you know, seen on the field. Now, you know, the only thing i would say you know just kind of looking through the the list is you know there there might be something to the fact that you know the chiefs did put greg lewis which is a wide receiver a former wide receiver and a wide receiver coach he's been the chiefs wide receiver coach in the past they moved him to the running backs coach position and you know i i think at first i think everyone you know the initial reaction was like yeah it makes sense right you're getting you're getting kind of the receiving ability the the coaching tips um receiving wise to the running backs in a, in a, a pass happy offense right but i don't know is there anything to maybe that that they're focusing too much on that and the the reading of run holes has kind of you know maybe been buried a little bit on the importance or the you know and be enemies you know being the offensive coordinator now isn't necessarily the one you know showing them the way i don't know i it is kind of interesting to think i mean he's he's a wide receiver he's a wide receivers coach he's a former wide receiver it's a it's definitely a lot different than playing running back so it's just an interesting one, you know, talking about assistant coaches making impacts. Yeah, there's a there's a case to be made for that. It, it is just hard to isolate anything because, yeah, um, yeah, they're doing a better job of featuring Clyde in the passing game. I think that's a, right. a positive. Uh, is that his influence? Maybe, uh, maybe not. Maybe it's Nagy. You know, I mean, Nagy's back, and and uh, the last time we saw him, there was a there was some running backs that were making some plays on offense too. So. Uh, that's it's just all to say that you never know when it comes to those assistant coaches. We believe the the Chiefs have a good staff, 
and that they've made some changes that have helped, but it's pretty tough to isolate the contributions of any one particular coach, maybe like offensive line coach. You can see they have a pretty, you know, uh, defined, you know, influence on that group, but there's, when it comes to some of these other, uh, especially down the line, uh, Rocky playing stump the chump here on, on the out of structure <laughs> podcast. Uh, tell you what, let's go ahead and take a quick look ahead at the upcoming Tennessee Titans matchup uh, before we get out of here. What, what do you got on the Titans, Ron? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I've been talking about run defense um, or I'm writing about it for the site and it's going to be put to the test, right? Uh, you know, they, they got the Tennessee Titans coming to town with Derrick Henry. And then honestly, you watch Henry, he kind of almost looks a little springier than, than I feel like I've seen him in the last few years in terms of um, kind of just like short area burst, kind of moving side to side. He's moving really well. So I, I think Derrick Henry is looking as good as he ever has. But the problem is that the, the rest of the Titans offense is not, you know, threatening anybody and, and giving Henry really any space. And so he's kind of just doing it all on his own against really loaded boxes because they really only have Robert Woods. And, and that's really it as in terms of people you've heard of in the receiving core. Like I, I, I promise you there are a bunch of no names. You know, Ryan Tannehill is actually hurt right now. Um, it's, it, I don't even know exactly what it is, but he did not play this last game. And it's, and it's not clear whether he's going to play against the chiefs. Malik Willis stepped in and, you know, he's, he's a very athletic quarterback, but he's raw. And you saw it. He threw a very bad interception against the Texans last week. Cause just throwing way behind a, a crossing route. So on offense, uh, you know, the Titans offense, it's going to be one dimensional. And so the chiefs run def- defense has to be ready. And then, and then on just the flip side, I, I do think the Titans defense has been very susceptible this year. It's been exploitable. Um, you know, it's the bills ran over them to 40 plus points, you know, if, uh, it, earlier in the season. But they do have some guys up front. You know, Jeffrey Simmons is going to give the, the, the Chiefs some troubles, that defensive tackle. They have a few edge rushers that, that can be headaches, but, you know, nothing special. So I think the Titans defense is very exploitable. And then their offense, you know, is, is going to try to, you know, do the, what they usually do, right? Run the ball, run the heck out of the ball, control the game. And so that's what the Chiefs have to be ready for. So it looks like Tannehill missed last week's game with a stomach bug and a sprained ankle. Um, they said it was more the stomach than the ankle that kept him out of last week's game, but his ankle is pretty, he was wearing a walking boot, uh, at one point. So it's not like it's, it's nothing, uh, on his ankle. So be curious to see what happens there. I always say that I, I'm not worried about the chiefs offense against any defense. We've seen the chiefs can dominate even the best defense. So I don't think this matchup matters when it comes to the defense of Tennessee. It's all about. Does the Chiefs' offense come out and execute the way that we know they can? If so, they'll put up plenty of points. That's just a given. It's really about can the Chiefs' defense handle what the Titans do, and uh, if they focus on on stopping Derrick Henry, they focus on stopping the run. Um, you know, can they do it? They've done it a couple times this year, and they've done it a couple times this year. They have not. So uh, it is going to be really interesting to see which Chiefs run defense shows up this week and if they can uh, stop the Titans from controlling the game because that's really the only thing that I could see swinging this the outcome in one direction or the other. Yeah, I do think I'm pretty confident in the run defense this week. I do think you've seen their flaws uh, the last few games. It's been against offenses that really can attack them vertical or, you know, through the air and and, and that maybe the Chiefs defense is is sort of – prioritizing that as they should and, and maybe not you know game planning to to be as aggressive against the run i think you can be very aggressive against the run against the titans force if it is malik willis even Tannehill, though 
force them to throw the ball and, 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 you know, be aggressive against the run. And so I think that, you know, you've seen it, you know, last year was it, yeah, it was last year, right. Uh, Nick Bolton against the Titans, you know, his rookie year, just, you know, he had a really good, he had like 13 tackles or 15 tackles or something. I mean, you've seen this defense, you know, do well against the Titans run offense in the past. Um, so I'm confident they'll do it again. Yeah. Blitz run blitz, just, you know, yeah. crash, Plenty uh, of crash down in every gap and, and just be aggressive and take your lumps. If they happen to complete one downfield, seems like a good strategy to me. We appreciate all of you taking your time to be with us today. Uh, make sure you like and rate and review and subscribe and all the chiefs podcast networks uh, at Arrowhead pride. Uh, check out Ron's work uh, on the site. Uh, we'll have, I'll have some pieces up there this week as well. Looking forward to the Chiefs getting back in action against an old familiar foe, the Tennessee Titans. Uh, With that, let's go ahead and wrap this thing up, and we will talk to you all next week. 